My name is Kevin Oberholzer, and I uh, function as an elder here at Bridge Community Church, and I would just like to personally thank each of you for being here this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. Um, thank you for join, joining us this morning. Our desire as a leadership team and as each person that you see involved in this service this morning and in the kids' area is that you have the opportunity to encounter the presence of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So that's our prayer this morning. Over the past weeks, we've been going through a series called True or False. True or False. And, um, and this has been a really good series because we've been looking at foundational things that, that I believe are important for us as a church, for us as Christians, and for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a trend in society right now that, that we're seeing, and um, it's, it's referred to as a postmodern era. Uh, some people refer to it as that, but ha- uh, started back in the 60s, where those foundational things in our society that we felt were right and wrong, defining right and wrong, are becoming eroded. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Things like, things that, that I, I can't even believe that we're asking questions about, like marriage, you know, marriage between a man and a woman. Um, even we're getting into the, into the squirrely area of sexual identity, and all of these things are eroding the foundations of our society. Unfortunately, we see some of this overflowing into the church and penetrating the church. And so it's very important that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, stop and go, what are these fundamental things, and where do I stand on them? Uh, My son Isaac turned me on to a a YouTube channel, and it's a a show a guy does. It's called Louder with Crowder. Uh, I I don't know if any of you have have seen it or, or followed it, but he covers some things, uh, some interesting topics, and, and one of them specifically is, I'm pro-life, change my mind. And he goes around to college campuses, and he sets up a table and cameras and microphones, and, um, and he invites students to change his mind. And it's very interesting when he challenges some of their ideas of what they base where they feel life begins, and where they base their, their beliefs on abortion, for example. And so our series is True or False. Over the past weeks, we've covered topics such as, is the Bible just a good book? Is the Bible just a good book? And we learned that, no, that is false. The Bible is the infallible Word of God relevant for us today. One of the other topics are, are Christians just a bunch of hypocrites? Are Christians just a bunch of hypocrites? And, and Pastor Paul gave the example of sanctification. We are called to be sanctified, to be changed, to become more like Christ. And if you remember the example he gave of going through a car wash, when we accept Christ as our Savior, and we call, we call ourselves, yep, I'm a follower of Christ, and, and because that, that entry into the car wash has been paid, and our car moves forward, 
and we begin that, that process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. I'm afraid the next time I go for a car wash, I'll look at the deluxe, I'll, be lo- I'll look at the super deluxe, and then I'll find the sanctified car wash. <laughs> Hopefully that one is free, huh? Woohoo! <laughs> so last week, Pastor Paul talked about, is Jesus the only way to God? Is Jesus the only way to God? A foundational truth that we must, we must determine whether this is true or not. And we saw Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way to God the Father. So this week's topic, or question, shall I say, was Jesus just a moral teacher? Was Jesus just a moral teacher? And as I looked into this, I thought, okay, how do I approach this topic? Do we look at prophecies? Do we look at all the prophecies in the Old Testament? Because there were 300 of them, 300 prophecies that were fulfilled by Christ. Or do, I, do we look at the birth of Christ? You know, that, that was pretty cool because there were angels you know, there were shepherds, there, there were some pretty supernatural things that happened there that surely would answer this question whether Jesus was just a moral teacher. Or do I look at the death and resurrection? Do we look at the death and resurrection? Because a, a lot of neat stuff happened there also. I mean, there were earthquakes, the, um, the temple, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. That's pretty significant. Um, There was a thunderstorm, and there was a lot that happened there that was pretty supernatural. But as I began to go through this, I realized, you know, God hides truths in his scripture for us. He doesn't hide them there from us, but he hides them for us. So let me give you an example of what that looks like. When our children were smaller, littler, um, we would go to my, my in-law's house for Easter. And um, Diane's mom would have this container full of Easter eggs. So what do we put in Easter eggs? Yeah, we put candy. Well, she would put candy in some of these Easter eggs, but also she would put things like quarters. She would put dollar bills in some of them. And those were like, those were premium. And they loved finding those. And then she would give that container to us adults, and what would we do? We would go out, and we would hide these Easter eggs. We weren't hiding them from the kids, although sometimes we got pretty creative. And we would, but we would set them out in the lawn for the younger ones so that it was a little more obvious they could find those. We would put some back under the shrubs. We would bury some you know, under the mulch. Or we would put some, you know, up in, the, up in the rain spout. But we hid them so that they could be found. Same thing. God has placed these treasures, these truths in Scripture so that we can find them. He's not hiding them from us, but he's hiding them there for us. And what a fulfillment. What a great opportunity that is when we dig into God's word and the Holy Spirit reveals 
these truths to us. It becomes a lot more meaningful. So this morning, I thought, well, let's look at this. Let's look at Matthew 16. So read along with me if you would. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But who do you, but what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's take a moment and pray. Spirit of God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Father, for planting those seeds of truth in your word for us to discover. So Holy Spirit, this morning we ask that you reveal these truths to each of us. May your word speak clearly, and may we have ears to hear and be receptive and allow those seeds to be planted in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So in this passage that we just read in Matthew, Jesus asks two questions. The first question he asks, who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? Why does Jesus need to ask that question? Did he really need to know who he was? Was he going through an identity crisis? Do you you think he was going, wow, maybe I should go to Ancestry.com. Maybe I should go to 23andMe and get a DNA test to find out, really, where are my roots? Where do I come from? All right, take a side note here. How many of you saw the Lexus commercial uh, where they will take a car, and if, if you go to the Lexus dealer and you give a DNA sample, well, they will create a car based on your genetics. A genetic tailored car just for you. It will have the exact scent that you need to have, you know, your genetics tells them. And the most interesting part is to start the car, you just lick the steering wheel. And it will start the car. <clears throat> Did anyone see that commercial? All right. It aired around or on April 1st. So we all know what that Yes. <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> so again, Jesus knew. He knew his identity. He knew who he was. So why is he asking the question? He's asking the question for the benefit of the disciples. He's asking that question for the benefit of you and I. A good teacher 
involves the students. How many of you have had an excellent teacher, and because of the influence of that teacher, you picked a certain vocation or degree to take in college? Anyone have someone like that? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? It speaks to the, the incredible place that a good teacher has in each of our lives. So why is Jesus asking this? He found a teachable moment. He found an opportunity. Let me, let me dig into something here and reveal something more about myself and about who God is and the character of God and his desire for each one of us. So Jesus asked, who do people say I am? And verse 14 says, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Here's the significance of, of these people that, that were listed. John the Baptist, what's the importance of John the Baptist? John the Baptist was an effective preacher. They identified John the Baptist as an effective preacher. In Matthew 7, Matthew writes, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. People knew that Jesus was an effective teacher. Who else do they mention here? Elijah. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who was known for his miracles. God did amazing miracles through Elijah. In Matthew 4, Jesus was going through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Jesus was identified by the people. They said, we know him as a miracle worker. God is doing miracles through this man, Jesus. People said that Jesus was a teacher and a prophet. But here he goes. He asks the deeper question, right? Jesus makes it personal. And he's, he says, who do you say I am? We see this in verse 15. But what about you, he said. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter gets this right, doesn't he? But there are also other accounts in Scripture of people who got it right. Lazarus' death, recorded in John 11. Martha, Lazarus is, is dead. Jesus goes, and he's comforting Martha. And Martha says to him, Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Also, we see the crucifixion, Matthew 27. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Also in Luke 4, Jesus is healing many people. And this one is very interesting. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. 
But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Even the demons knew who Jesus Christ was. He was the Messiah. Here's the most important one. In Luke 3, when John the Baptist is baptizing, we read, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. There's something about the validation of the Father to the Son here. How many of you, I for one, I love the validation of my earthly Father on me. And all of us recognize the value of that validation from a Father figure. In this case, God is telling Jesus, I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. We're going to see a, a short video that, that will give us a, another, um, another perspective of how Jesus was identified. Did Jesus claim to be God? Or did he simply claim to be an exceptional man? A good moral prophet, highly aligned with the purposes of God, but ultimately thought of himself and claimed to be just a man. The answer to this lies inside records of old court trials, the trial of Jesus before he was sentenced to crucifixion, examination of the accusations made against him, and the responses of the accusers uncovers whether or not Jesus claimed divinity. Jesus was examined by two parties, the Jewish authorities, made up of the priests and the Jewish Sanhedrin, and the Roman authorities, Herod and Pontius Pilate. Each had their own accusations and concerns. The Romans put Jesus on trial and found him guilty over the issue of whether he was a threat to Rome. But the Jewish authorities did not try Jesus over the issue of what he had done, but rather who he claimed to be. When the Jews fired questions at Jesus, he didn't answer. They accused him of falsely prophesying, perverting the nation, forbidding Jews to pay taxes, and calling himself king. His response was silence. The high priest, losing patience, finally put Jesus under oath where he would have to answer. He said to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Being under oath, his response was, I am, and you will see me the Son of Man, sitting at God's right hand in the place of power and coming back on the clouds of heaven. We can confidently know what Jesus meant by what the priest did next. He tore his cloak. Now, it isn't the fact that the high priest tore his cloak. This would always happen to finalize the verdict of the Sanhedrin, much like a gavel closes a case today. It's a matter of when the priest tore his cloak. In only one type of case would the high priest break this pattern and tear his cloak before when the crime was blasphemy. The high priest tearing his cloak at this point tells us Jesus personally claimed to be God. The trial of Jesus was not about what he did, but who he claimed to be. And when accused of claiming to be God, 
he is guilty as charged. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. So the question, was Jesus just a moral teacher? The answer to that is false. Jesus was and is the Messiah, the Redeemer, Son of the living God. He is Emmanuel, God with us, the very presence of God demonstrated through the life of Jesus. It's an example that is very important for us to look at, especially as followers of Christ, because what type of identity and what type of life did Jesus live? He lived a supernatural life, right? He lived a life where he healed people. People were healed. He reached into their lives and extended the love of God. He cared for and touched those who society said were untouchable. He did miracles. Jesus was in the business of redeeming what was broken. He was in the business of redeeming what is broken. Again, Jesus' life demonstrated the character of God to us. So what does that mean for us? Well, let's go a little bit further. And let's look at Jesus' response to Peter's answer to his question when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What's what's Jesus' response? And in verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's Jesus saying here? The third and last point is the power of Peter's confession. There is power In Peter's confession, it is the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the very foundation of of us as Christians. It's the very foundation of our faith. When Jesus says that he will build his church, he's not talking about building it on Peter's shoulders. He's building it on the confession (laughs) of you and I saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Lord. You are the Son of God. And I accept you. We see in Romans 10, 9, says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the very foundation of our faith that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. And when we place our trust in him, we get the keys to the kingdom. You guys got keys? Pull out. If you have keys in your pocket, pull them out this morning. Because in another verse following here, 
Jesus says to Peter, he says, because of your confession, I will give you keys of the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? So what do keys represent? Keys are used to unlock things, right? Keys give us authority. I have a car key here, all right? So I use this to open up my door. It gives me access to my car, right? I use this key to start my car. My car has power, right? All right, my car gets me places. Some of your cars have more power than others. I'll just say that. But when I receive this key, what does it take for me to receive this? I have to purchase that car. That car comes at a cost, right? I pay for the car, they give me the title, and they say, here are the keys to your car. I have a house key on here also. What does this house key represent? Access to my front door. And so when we go on vacation or we go away for the weekend, I give a key just like this to the neighbor boy across the street, and I say, Jacob, take care of our dog. Here's the key. And what does he have? He has access to my house. It gives him authority to enter my house and take care of our dog. What's the other key? I, this is actually fun because you get to look at the keys on your chain ring and you get to discover, hey, I don't know what that key's for. <laughs> but here is another key. This is the church key. It gives me access to this building. And what do I think of when I think of this key? I think of faithfulness. The faithfulness of people who built this building and made this physical building happen so that we can enjoy it today and we can worship God here together like this today. But it gives me access to this building. I unlock the door and enter. All right, so what's the significance of keys? Why is is Jesus talking about keys to Peter Well, it's very important that that we recognize that at creation, man had unhindered access with God the Father. They had total access to God the Father. They had the keys to the kingdom at creation. At the fall, man gave Satan those keys. Christ's death and resurrection is when Christ went to hell, took those keys and reclaimed them. And Christ now holds those keys of authority. He holds those keys of access that you and I have with God the Father only through Jesus. Just like we learned last week that Jesus is the only way to God the Father And that is the significance of these keys that Jesus is talking about. Through Jesus, through our declaration, the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, through our confession, we have total access to the throne of God Almighty. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. What does Jesus say? He says, all authority. 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority is available to you and to me. So we've answered the question of today. Was Jesus just a moral teacher? But what does that mean for us as followers of Christ? What makes us different than the other person that's in the checkout line with us? Or the other person we may work with? Yeah, they may be a very moral person. They try to do their best and they try to improve themselves, right? But as a follower of Christ, as we accept Christ as our Lord, we take on, remember sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Our Father owns the store, right? Our Father owns the store. If your Father doesn't own the store, you walk in and you're timid. Well, should I purchase this? Should I purchase that? No. We get to walk in the store and we go, yep, I want that Twix bar. Yep, I'd like that can of Mountain Dew. He owns it all. He's going, here it is. All authority. Take it. Use it. I want you to. When we're saved, God doesn't take us straight to heaven. Why? He's got work for you and I to do. He wants to show his manifest glory through each of us. And we have that opportunity. But what do we need to do? We need to recognize our identity. Right? We need to know who we are in Christ. Man, he is the Father. He is all-powerful. He wants to work through us. Let me explain this. Um, You know, there's something about when we walk through life and we're aware of what God wants to do, what the Holy Spirit is doing around us. And we've... um, the neat thing is like Mission Lansdale. Those of you who have gone to Mission Lansdale, you know, there, there's something great about being intentional about going, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do in this conversation? What would you have for me in this encounter with this person? And so our last series here at, at Bridge Community Church was on overflow, right? So the other Wednesday night uh, at CSM, Uh, the teens or the youth, well, we all got together and we went out and we split into groups and went to the different shopping centers. And um, my role, I had had two young men with me and we went over here to the Sunoco station and cleaned their bathrooms. So how about that? I mean, anyone can do that, right? Anyone can do that. But what's the difference? Our intent wasn't just to be a good moral person. Our intent was to invite the presence of God with us. And as Alan and, and Sam are cleaning those bathrooms, I'm, I'm out there having a conversation with the attendant. And um, I'm like, man, Lord, come on. 
You know, give me, give me an opening. Where's the, you know, where, where is the opportunity for me to bring truth and to bring the light of the gospel into this conversation? So as the boys were finishing up the second bathroom there in the lobby, I said, listen, I said, you know, we enjoy doing this and serving you and the owner of this establishment, but as followers of Christ, we believe that there's more to this engagement. And I said, is there anything specifically that we could pray with you about? Because I don't believe that God initiates these things without a purpose. And you know, all of you hopefully have been at points like this, and it's like, whoop, you know, step it over. It's a high risk, but it's a great reward. And the gentleman told us then about his mother who is sick. I believe it was a kidney or, or yeah, she was having problems with her kidneys. And he He misses his mother because she lives in Bangladesh, and he's planning to go and visit her in a couple months. So we had the opportunity just to pray with this young man and just to affirm that and to let him know that God cares enough about him to send some old guy and two young guys to clean the bathrooms and to pray for the power of God and healing over his mom's physical body. We have the opportunity to introduce heaven, right, into our everyday lives. God is waiting. God wants to move. Man, we just need to get with it, huh? We need to stop and recognize what God wants to do. Jesus' life His death and his resurrection unlocks sonship. We need to understand we have an inheritance with Jesus Christ. 1 John 3 says, So what great love, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And that is what we are. <laughs> you know, yesterday, we, again, the awareness. The awareness of what God wants to do in every situation. Yesterday, I was going through my notes in the afternoon, and I hear a knock at the door. And I'm like, oh, Okay. I guess the neighbor across the street who's remodeling his kitchen needs some help moving kitchen cabinets or something. So I go around the corner and I see a young man standing there at the door and he's holding a tote and he has like a reflective vest on. And so, you know, my first inclination is, no, I don't want whatever you're selling or toting, (laughs) literally. And um, so I walked out and I said, hi. And, And he introduced himself and he said, I'm a part of a group, and, and, and we do activities, and we're raising funds, and uh, so we're raising funds to go to Sky Zone. I'm like, oh, really? So, so, but, you know, here I am. I'm like, oh, wait a second. What, what have I been reading over? You know, what does God want to do in this situation? So I said, well, 
it's, it's nice to meet you. I said, I, I'm not interested in, in purchasing things. I, I have enough things, but may I make a donation to you? And I asked a little bit more about who he was and, and what the organization was, and it sounded legit. And, um, and so I, I went, in, I went in back into the house to, to get some money to give to him. And as I'm walking in there, I'm like, Holy Spirit, what, what is this? What's the point? Because nothing happens by happenstance. You know, God has an encounter that he wants to introduce this young man to. And so I walked out, and I, and I said, um, tell me your name. And he told me his name. And I said, listen, I said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And yes, I'm glad that I can help support, you know, your activity. I said, but I believe God has orchestrated this for a reason. And he wants to know that he is pursuing you. Do you mind if I just pray for you a minute? So I just prayed over that young man that in his quiet times or or, or in those still moments that he would hear the voice of God pursuing him. And what a great opportunity that was. And and so I, I just pray for Amir that God just reveals himself to that young man and, um, you know, him showing up on my doorstep was a, was a God encounter for him because God wants to use us to touch others. Matt, if you guys would come forward. Again, Jesus unlocked sonship for us. We are heirs. We are heirs to God Almighty through the work of Jesus Christ.